Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning we're continuing our study in the book of Daniel. As we're going to be studying an important truth, and that, that important truth is that there is spiritual warfare taking place all around us. And for some of you, are like, oh, this is an exciting topic, and we're looking forward to, to working with it. And others of you are like, let's maybe just leave. Um, but, <laughs> but this is an important thing for us to, to be mindful of. And it's something that, that can sometimes get lost. We can sometimes kind of forget that there is battle taking place in the spiritual realms. If, if let's, let's take a, an illustration. Let's think about something for just a minute. Let's, let's imagine for a minute that um, we lived in a place where there's, you know, a supermax prison that is, you know, in our town. Let's, there's a supermax prison in the town of Fortuna. And let's imagine for just a minute that a news bulletin comes out that there are like five prisoners that have escaped from the supermax prison in Fortuna, and they are on the run. And you see the, the helicopters, you know, flying over the area. You see, you know, all of the news vans trying to interview people. You see police on every corner. And it would probably make sense that when you have your, your significant other come home and knocks on the door to get let in, you, you probably check out the window to make sure they are who they say they are. You probably make sure when they come in, you lock the, the door you, you set the, the chain, right? You know, whatever your, your deadbolt system is, everything's in place, and you make sure that it's locked. You take extra care because there's something that's dangerous that's out there, right? I mean, that, that's just smart. That's, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to do. But why don't we take that same care when the, the enemy of our souls isn't necessarily left out by a deadbolt, by a locked door, <laughs> and, and is actively working to sabotage us and to sabotage the, the work of Christ in our lives and, and through us, the, the, uh, the rest of the world. So the quickest way to lose a battle is to forget that you're in a war. If you think about that for a moment, if, if somebody is, is in the armed forces and they're, they're going into a battle, and just in the midst of that battle, they all of a sudden say, oh, look, there's like a, a theme park. Let's, let's go you know, do some sightseeing or let's, let's go on this tour. That's not going to work well. That, that's not how you win a, a battle. The, the way that you win the war, the way that you win the battle is by first being aware that you're there, that you are, are present and active in that. So if we stop for a second and look at the context of what we're talking about, Daniel chapter 10. We're going to read that, that first like three verses here. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. 
I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions or anointments at all until the three weeks were over. So let's kind of get some context here on what we're talking about. So this is King Cyrus. So for those of you that have been with us for the past few weeks, we've kind of been working through the book of Daniel. Cyrus is the king of Persia that is after uh, the, the king that threw Daniel in the lion's den. So we have the, the guy who threw Daniel in the lion's den, King, I think it was King Darius, and then he moved forward to, or King Cyrus is the king that came next. So King Cyrus is the first king in however many years that is finally kind of backing the people, the Jewish nation, the Jewish remnant that is in Babylon. And he's sending them back. He says, I want you guys to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to rebuild the walls. And I want you to, to rebuild your city. I mean, this is, this is exactly what everybody had been waiting for. This was what Daniel was praying for in terms of, you know, recognizing this is the end of the exile. This is the end of, of the time that we were being disciplined. We're now being released to go. And, and how many times do you feel like when you get to that point of being able to go, like everything should be good now, right? We, we've gotten to the point now where, you know, this hardship is done, so now everything's supposed to be easy. Do you, is there ever a time in your life where you you've terminate one hardship in your life and then another hardship starts? <laughs> maybe, that does, maybe that's just me that, that happens to, but it seems like it's a, a recurring process where, man, I just got through this thing. It would be great if we could maybe have like a week of just hanging out. The, the people leave Babylon and they go back to, um, to Israel and they start to rebuild Jerusalem. And if you look at the, the books that are kind of associated to this, the, the books that are happening at the same time, we look at Nehemiah and we look at Ezra, we, we start hearing about the difficulties that those people face. They're going to rebuild. And as they try to rebuild, people are coming from neighboring countries and they're attacking them while they're trying to rebuild the walls to the point where they're actually carrying spears and bows and arrows and swords while they're building the walls. I mean, in the midst of all this, it's like, well, God, didn't you say that like after 70 years we got to leave? And he says, yeah, but it doesn't mean that everything's just going to be easy. So we see these accounts of the, the remnant being sent back and, and King Cyrus is supporting them. He's sending materials with them to use. He's giving them permission to work with other kings in the area to get lumber and things like that. Um, and if you read those accounts, there's opposition that takes place. And it, it's not just the neighboring countries where we have problems. There's problems from within as well. Neighboring nations are in opposition, but then there's also this internal conflict that's taking place. And Daniel's getting word back that this is happening. He's, he's hearing that the rebuilding of Jerusalem is not going well, that it's, they're running into all of these problems. And so he starts to, to go into a, a time of mourning, a time of prayer, a time of fasting. And this goes on for 21 days. That's a long time to go without food. You're like, is that even possible? I'm, I, it is possible. I mean, I just watched, for those of you who don't, I, I watch uh, Alone, that, that show where these people get like 
just left in the middle of nowhere with like 10 things and like we'll, we'll come get you when you hit the button that says to come get me and whoever lasts the longest gets $500,000. Um, the guy who won, this is going to be a total spoiler if somebody isn't caught up, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't do this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the guy who wins has just decided to start fasting. And so he starts fasting, and it's a strategy that nobody else has ever taken on. Everybody else is like trying to find every squirrel in the forest that they can eat, every, every mushroom, every little berry. And he, prior to coming in, has conditioned his body to be ready to fast. And so he goes into a time of fasting for 15 days where he hasn't eaten any food and he's just drinking water. And he wins. And not only does he win, he's probably the most healthy looking guy coming out of that process of anyone that I've seen win in like the eight or nine seasons that I've watched. So it is very, very possible that it can be done. Now, let's get this straight. Is it comfortable? No. <laughs> there is nothing pleasant about that process, but it slows down your metabolism and it makes it so that you don't necessarily need to have all of that food. Now, let's also get another thing straight. Is he going out chopping down a tree every day? Nope, he's sleeping in a sleeping bag. And that's pretty much all he's able to do. But so we see Daniel coming to this time of, of prayer and fasting and mourning for the people of Israel and for the nation that is trying to, to rebuild itself. And if he's fasting for 21 days, he can't do anything else except just be there. Just be there and pray and, and expect God to show up. So he applied an intentional and costly effort to figure out the direction of God. Like, God, what, what's going on here? We finally get a political leader in our corner that's sending us back and you're allowing these things to happen. One thing that's interesting, if you look at this section, if you remember last week, Daniel had another vision, another um, you know, dream that took place. And as soon as Daniel started praying, an angel was dispatched. And the angel came to Daniel. Gabriel came to Daniel and said, God wanted me to let you know right away that he heard you, and, and this is what the interpretation is. And this time, it takes three weeks. Did God, like, forget? Like, did the GPS for the angel, like, send him off, you know, to some weird place? No, there's something else that's going on, and we're going to get to that. So, starting at verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man, dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, his voice like the sound of a multitude, and I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves." So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision, and I had no strength left. 
My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. And then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. So here we have Daniel crying out to God, right? We, the, we finally have the political leader. Please, can you give us some success? What, what's going on here? And then somebody shows up. And the, the first question that we need to ask is, who is this guy that has shown up? And I, I kind of spoiled this one in the Sunday school class this morning. Um, I mean, we, we don't know exactly who this is. I mean, there's, there, it doesn't specifically say. Um, but what I do know is that the description that we see of this man in terms of a voice of multitudes, his eyes like fire, and all of these different things very, very closely mirrors a description that we see in the book of Revelation. And in the, the book of Revelation, they're talking about Jesus. And so I think, and again, we've talked about this before, there are times when we're talking about the book of Daniel that we're going to talk about what is very firmly established in the word of God. And there are times where you're going to get my opinion. <laughs> this, this is now my opinion. I think that this is Jesus that Daniel is seeing. And the other reason that I think this is Jesus that Daniel's seeing is because there's a time where Daniel's going to bow before this being. And any time in the Bible where we see somebody bowing down to an angel, very quickly that angel says to the person, you need to stand up. We don't, we don't accept worship. That's not what we do. That's never told to Daniel. The, the, this being that we see here does not command Daniel to stand. And so what we see here, what I think we see here is a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ in heaven. The Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the important aspect for us to see here is that in the midst of all of Daniel's chaos that's happening, in the midst of this unknown of, man, I thought we were supposed to be released from exile. I thought we were supposed to go and rebuild Jerusalem. I thought this was how things were going to work. This is what my schedule was supposed to be. This is what my to-do list was. God, why aren't you on my timeline in the midst of our questioning, in the midst of our circumstances? God doesn't just show up and, and change them to match what we think is best. God shows up and shows himself. He says, if you look at me, we'll get this right. God, why is this going on in my life? And God says, just look at me. If we look at those other examples, if you look at Job, Job it has all of this stuff that's happening to him, right? It, all of his, his property is destroyed. All of his, his family is killed, and he's crying out to God, God, why is this going on? And, and God doesn't just say, oh, you're right. I forgot about you. Here, let me fix it. No, he says, look at me. Look at me. If we think about Joseph, who's tossed into a pit, sold by his brothers to slavery. God, why, why is this going on? And he reveals himself in, in the dreams that, that the Pharaoh has, and he says, there's a reason that you're here. I have a plan that you maybe don't know about. Look at me. 
Maybe that's something for us to, to hear this morning. Maybe there are, are questions that we are raising to God, that we are saying, God, why is this going on in my life? This was not on my checklist. This was not part of the plan that I had. But remember, what does God say in Jeremiah? He says, I know the plans that I have for you. It's not that I know them and I'm going to share them all with you. It's I know them. And if you look at me, you will have peace. You will have some level of understanding. So God helps us not by showing us more of our circumstance, by revealing more of himself. And as we see here in in 7 through 9, as Daniel sees more of who God is, he begins thinking less of himself. He, he can't be thinking about how, man, I'm super tired. Man, I'm super weak from all of this fasting that I've done. I, I feel uncomfortable. I, I just really wish I, I could get some more strength. It's becoming a focus of who God is. And sometimes we come to church Sometimes we come to worship with an expectation that we will leave feeling better about ourselves. And if that's your motivation for being here, and if that's the only result of our worship, then we miss the point. But Matt... I, wanted, I want to come and be encouraged at church. I want you to come and be encouraged at church too. Don't get me wrong. That, that's, that just can't be the reason that you're here. That is a byproduct of us coming and be, bringing praise and glory and honor to a God who's worthy of all of those things. Sometimes we see that desire that God has to be close to us. Do you know God wants to be close to you? God loves you. If you didn't know that, God, God loves you. He wants to be with you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to make a way for you to be with him. That's how much God loves you. And sometimes what happens is we mistake that wanting to be close. We, we start taking God's power for granted. Sometimes that then allows us to approach God too casually to the point where, where we say, oh, God's my buddy. We, we just hang out sometimes. God wants to be close with you. And sometimes we see that desire for him wanting to be close with us and we allow that to overshadow just how great he is. The fact that a God who created the universe wants to be close with me is amazing. God, in all of his greatness, in all of his majesty, in all of his power, still wants to be close with me, even though I am who I am. Think about that for a minute. If you look back at at the, the results of your week, not just the highlights, but maybe the low points too. 
And in the midst of all of those mistakes, all of those words that that didn't come out the way that you wanted them to, all of those interactions that were maybe hurtful, all of those thoughts that you had that you probably shouldn't have had, in the midst of all of those things, God still wants to be close to you. Now, this doesn't mean that we, we stand away from God because of what we've done. It doesn't mean that we, we push him away. We're supposed to push in even closer, but with proper perspective, understanding. Does the fact that I showed up for an hour on Sunday entitle me to be in the presence of the creator of the universe? Probably not. Sorry, I know this is kind of a downer, <laughs> Proper perspective is when we realize how amazing it is that he's even willing to speak with me right now. Like Daniel, the only, I mean, we sang it this morning, our response to the almighty, all-powerful God being willing to have a conversation with me should be that we fall face down. In verse 10, it says, And a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words that I'm about to speak to you and to stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began, and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. So again, remember last week, Daniel prays, boom. Gabriel shows up, tells him, hey, this is what we're talking about. We've got you covered. This time, the angel says, hey, I left as soon as you started praying, but it took me three weeks to get here. Sorry. A prince of a nation was was keeping the angel from getting to Daniel. And, And this is an important point for us to understand They're not talking about a prince of of the nation of Persia in terms of the the physical prince. They're talking about a demon that that has been assigned to the region of Persia is doing battle with this angel that has been sent to Daniel. And that battle has slowed down this angel from coming to Daniel. Daniel. And the reason we know that is because in the same passage, they're talking about Michael. Michael's an angel. And they they reference Michael the angel as a prince. And this kind of goes back to that section in Ephesians where they talk about the, the princes of the air. 
Spiritual beings are referred to as, as princes and kings of specific areas. So we see that Daniel's praying and angels being sent and then being delayed due to this demonic battle that's taking place. He's suffering while waiting for this angel to come. Does that mean that God was out of control in that particular situation, that God was, was struggling to keep up? Nope. God was never surprised. He was never caught off guard. But God allows these things to take place. For our instruction, he allows it to take place because of reasons that I'm not going to pretend to know. What we do know is behind every earthly battle, every earthly conflict, there is a spiritual war that is raging beyond our vantage point that we don't see. Daniel is witnessing the conflict that is taking place in the, in the spiritual realms that's linked to the conflict that is happening with the people that have gone to Jerusalem with that remnant. When you watch a, a basketball game, sometimes if there's a really good player, if they're, you know, Steph Curry uh, steps out and onto the court and he's about to make a play, what does the other team do? probably they'll, they'll, they'll try to double team him, right? They'll say, we got to put like at least two guys on there. Sometimes if you're really good, maybe you get three. <laughs> and so what we see here is, is that there's a need for this angel to call in reinforcements. And Michael comes to his aid and, and they both work so that this angel is able to get to where he needs to go. What we see here is the government that's in power where Daniel is living and has been living for 70 plus years is actually experiencing demonic activity. Did you know that demonic activity can exist within government forces? <laughs> Not a surprise, I guess. Um, demonic forces work in people and among governments to oppose God's plan. In verse 20, the, the angel talks about a battle that's going to take place with Greece. A battle that hasn't even been thought about yet. But in the spiritual realms, it has already started. So they're already starting to do battle. Hey, I've got to go because there's this other battle that's going to take place with Greece. And Daniel's like, what are you talking about? You'll see. But I've got to go deal with this. And it's tempting for us to start pointing fingers at, at the various countries and the various presidents and the various political parties that we see. And there's a demon right there. And that blue state has to have a demon in it, right? Or, or, you know, this country over here has to have a demon that's dealing with that, right? Maybe. Well, are, are, can you point to me which specific countries and which, which specific government leaders are dealing with demonic activity? Yeah, I can, all of them. Every single one. Sometimes it's blatant and sometimes it's subtle. 
Did you know that's the way it is in your own life as well? Sometimes there are going to be things that are very blatant that are taking place in your life that, that are a result of demonic activity. And sometimes there are going to be things that are very subtle. Sometimes your, your marriage relationship will come under attack and you just can't understand why you guys can't get on the same page. Sometimes your health seems like it's under attack and time after time after time you're getting sick and then you're getting well again and then you're getting sick again and every time you get sick it's stopping you from doing this thing that you've been called to do. Sometimes that can be because of demonic activity that's taking place. You are under attack. Now hear me for just a minute. There are also times where you're not under attack and you're just getting sick. One of the, the dangers of when we're talking about spiritual warfare, about uh, spending too much time talking about spiritual warfare, is you start to give the enemy too much credit. The fact of the matter is a lot of times we do just fine on our own. Then he's like, I don't need to mess with you right now because you're doing just fine. Sometimes we think that all of those different areas are, are just unrelated, but the fact of the matter is sometimes they can be linked. And so we need to wake up and we need to understand that there is a possibility of something else going on. Another battle that we don't necessarily see. We, we aren't going to necessarily have the experience that Daniel has where the veil is torn back and, and he sees the, the spiritual warfare that's taking place. So we see a, a political leader is finally helping God's people. And then the struggle continues. Just like we talked about, we, we, we finally make our way out of this, this season of trial, this season of hardship, season of difficulty, and then it, it gets harder. The, the message that we get out of this section is that conflict doesn't stop when blessing comes. And it is so important for us to remind, remember this. Conflict doesn't stop when you are blessed. So when you receive the blessing from God, it's not like, okay, everything's gonna be totally fine now. No, that is when you're gonna be attacked the most. Daniel prays, and then three weeks later, the, blessing, the answer comes. And this is the encouragement that he receives in verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. He said, peace, be strong. Be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And he said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. The only way to endure Satan's great opposition is to be confident of God's great love in your life. What's the first thing that the angel says to Daniel? Again, and this is the same thing that Gabriel said to him last time. Before he talks about all of this weird stuff that he's seeing, before he talks about the vision that he's had and what's going to happen to his people, what's the first thing that he says? I love you. 
Daniel, remember, God loves you. Daniel, remember, don't be afraid. Daniel, remember, you can be encouraged in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of your circumstance. Daniel, remember, you are not alone. Do you need to hear that this morning? You are not alone. Why can we have the same hope that Daniel has? Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If you have recently experienced spiritual victory in your life, you should anticipate additional conflict. Just when you start making, it's not an accident that every time you start making progress in your spiritual life, every time you start getting into a a habit of reading your Bible, all of a sudden you lose every Bible in your house. Every time you you do that, you you all of a sudden have 20 appointments that come up that, that magically show up right in that time that you set aside. It's not an accident. Just when you start making progress in your spiritual life, things start to come at you. We cannot be complacent. And as I said before, a demon probably isn't behind all of the problems that exist in your life. You aren't that important. But a demon is probably behind some of them. And so what do we do? Thankfully, this isn't just me making it up. This is, we have instruction. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the ruler's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions in all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's what we're supposed to do. That is our response to the the battle that is taking place. We're not supposed to sit on the sideline and just hope everything works the way it's supposed to. We're supposed to put on the full armor of God, and after having done everything to stand, stand. Get yourself ready and get in the game. This morning, we're going to be participating in communion. If we haven't passed that out yet, can we? Thanks. This morning, we're, as we participate, as we receive communion... Why are we able to stand? 
This is really important for us to, to understand this because this is critical that, that we actually get this. We, we don't get to strap on the full armor of God because who you are. You don't get to strap on the full armor of God because you made some good choices in your life, because you, you said the, the magic words and said, okay, now, now you get to be part of the team. You get to strap on the full armor of God because God is who he said he is. Because God made a way for you to get in the game. And so this morning, as, as we receive communion, as we come to this place of recognizing the sacrifice that a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God made for a speck of dirt like me, we come this morning, we, we say, thank you, God. God, thank you for that blessing. Thank you that you are mindful of me. Who am I that you, God, should be mindful of me? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. And, you know, it's, we go to church, right? We're, we're here. This isn't really weird. This is kind of what, what happens at church. Just stop for a minute and think about what that dinner was like. Those disciples sitting there at that table with, with Jesus, the man, this is my body. If you eat this, you're participating in something that's bigger than anything else that you, you have ever experienced. This is my body, which is for you. They had no idea what was, what was about to happen, but he did. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread going forward, remember that it is my body. God, we come this morning and we remember. We set aside the other distractions. We set aside everything else for this moment. And God, we remember that this is your body that was broken for me. God, thank you for your body that was broken for me. Thank you that you thought of me. God, thank you that if there was no one else in the world, that if it was just me, you would have done it. Let's eat. In verse 25, it says, and after, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant. And everybody sitting at the table knew what the old covenant was. But this is the, the new covenant in my blood. 
where you don't have to do all of that stuff anymore. That, that illustration that was just there to show you how bad you were, how far off you were, how you could never, ever hope to come close to me, that is being taken care of, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember it. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, that the Lord's, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we remember. We do this in remembrance. God, we, we stop, we, we pause everything else, and we come to this moment and we remember. Not just bringing back to, to a current understanding, but God, we, we remember and we apply it. That you died for me. You, God, the creator of everything, died for me. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 